0: Father, I know what I understand of your grace is, is just a piece. And I would pray tonight, Lord, that you would help my understanding increase, that you would help my eyes be open wider, Lord, and that, that each and every person here would have a fuller, a deeper understanding tonight of your grace, and that every single day, Lord, we would, we would get to know you more, that you would grow in that truth. Father, I pray that as, as Birch talks through this passage tonight, Father, just that you would give him the things that you want him to say, Lord, that you would speak through him, that it would be your words, Father, that that, that we are gleaning from this passage, your truth, Lord, that we are taking away tonight. Father, we thank you for a time we can be here, Lord, and we just pray that you would that you would bless it, that you would use it to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm remiss to mention that we have at least three little guests with us tonight, Um via families. Two of them are with the Vickles and, um, bringing the number of children in that home right now to seven and I think, is that four that are four? No, five five now. Four that are five and under, three that are, uh, three that are two and under, and Josiah, is it Josiah, Josiah, and Dimitri? for sitting back there with the Bickles, and a mom that needed some time. She's got some some things she really needs to work through, and um, the Bickles have the opportunity to to host them in their homes. Um, and it's just it's an incredible picture of what the father has done for us. It also is incredibly hard um, to have more people. You, it's like well, it's just a couple more, right? You no, know, it's a lot. It's a lot more than just a couple, and then. There's a little one with us for the weekend, Adalia. She comes and visits with Dean and Olivia Adolphson on a pretty regular basis, and she's with us for the weekend. Um, just her grandmother's raising her, and it's a chance for her grandmother to have a weekend. So, um, praise the Lord to have. We've got a few guests here who knock on our door tonight. And, um, so, show them show them his grace. Michelle you up as you're here to Zoom with us. So, first, <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Today I am going to read First Corinthians chapter fifteen verses one through eleven. First Corinthians, chapter fifteen, verses one through eleven. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye, ye also have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And he was seen as Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time, I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so we have believed. Oh.
0: I need that. Oh.
2: <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Let's open with prayer. Father, you have truly given us good news. You have given us the best news. I pray that we would embrace it more fully this evening, that we would know it more surely. That we would declare it more confidently. That we would love it. That we would desire to to have it rule our lives. Thank you for this body. Thank you for these people. Thank you for brothers and sisters who love you and who desire to proclaim this good news. Thank you most of all for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, it's interesting that we're uh, ta- The subject of this evening's message in this passage, chapter 15 in particular, is the resurrection. And we're meeting on a Saturday night. Because, why do we meet on Sunday? It's the first day of the week, He arose. This chapter is talking about people who aren't so sure about the resurrection. But the whole point of meeting on Sunday is to remind ourselves and to celebrate the fact that our Savior rose to celebrate the resurrection. And here we are on Saturday night. <laughs> so, but uh, it's good that we're here. It's uh, really, Jamie and I talked about it and didn't make a lot of sense. uh, uh didn't really work for any of us. Connie and I are gone next week, uh, perhaps the, the next Sunday after that. So um, I had this prepared and Jamie said, you know, it really doesn't look like it's going to be possible to do much of anything tomorrow, so uh, here we are tonight. So we, we're thankful for you guys coming out and uh, being with us this evening. I want to think for a moment, we're looking at last year, looking ahead to this year, what are we as South hope Community church, what are we facing? What, what's, what's ahead? What's, uh, what are the potential things that we are going to face, struggle through, challenges, difficulties this coming year? We don't know. No, we don't. But there are things that are common to man. <laughs> There's sickness. What else? Death. Hmm? Death. Death. That's a potential that we could face the loss of, of someone this year. Birth. Birth. That is that's a beautiful thing, but also sometimes a challenging thing as well. Rebirth, Rebirth. wouldn't that be wonderful?
1: Amen. A divided nation.
2: A divided nation. We're seeing that more and more. Laziness,
0: <laughs> persecution, people challenging our faith.
2: People challenging our faith, absolutely. What about within the body?
1: Unity,
2: Unity. or disunity. disunity. Sin? Broken marriages? Love and forgiveness.
1: Love and forgiveness?
2: We we have the potential for that, but are we are we facing that? Is that what we're looking toward? The church at Corinth was a mess, a real wreck. They, it, it, we've we've just covered almost all of this book. We're getting to the end. We're, we're chapter fifteen. We're almost there. Chapter fifteen is the longest chapter, but uh, hopefully Jamie will make it short. <laughs> And Jamie's given me a, a beautiful passage to preach. I, I actually asked him. I said, "You've waded through all of this difficulty." He, he did take chapter thirteen for himself, but he said, "You know," I said, "You're giving me the beginning of fifteen. I, it, you know, you're giving me a, a real privilege of being able to preach this passage." Um, so now that we've gone through most of 1 Corinthians, talk to me about. What was what was the Church of Corinth struggling with? Pride. Pride. Absolutely.
0: A lot
2: of self-centeredness? Self-centeredness. Sin?
1: False doctrine?
2: False doctrine? Envy. Envy? I was going to say
1: overdoing oh, it with the gifts.
2: They're Abusing their gifts? Not caring for one another. Not caring for one another. Absolutely.
0: Missing, point.
2: Missing the point. We'll talk about that some tonight.
0: Selfishness.
2: Selfishness? <coughs>
1: Confusion.
2: Confusion? They were abusing communion. Getting drunk at communion. They they were misusing marriage. And there was immorality. But, you know, that's not unique to the church at Corinth. That's, those are all potential things that we face this coming year. Hopefully, no one's getting drunk at communion. But, the shadows of those things, certainly the temptation towards divided marriages, immorality, disunity, a lack of love, self-centeredness, and tribalism, just the, the I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. Within the the body within the church. But, Paul starts the book by speaking of the gospel. And here we are at the end of the book, and he's speaking of the gospel. You see, he's he, he tells us back in uh, the beginning in, in chapter 2. He says, I, I came to you determined to know nothing but Christ in Him crucified. The Gospel. Christ in Him crucified. That's what I came to you with. And they, they did two different things. They, and, and see if this sounds familiar. The Corinthian church, first of all, accused Paul of having an ulterior motive. Of wanting something else. When you share the gospel with somebody, do you ever get accused of having an ulterior motive? You just you just want money. You're, those churches just want money. You just want me to believe what you want you believe. You just think I'm a bad person. All I'm trying to do is share the Gospel with you. I'm trying to share the good news. But they accuse you of having ulterior motive. They accuse Paul of doing the same thing. That he was wanting, somehow wanting power for himself. But I, actually all he's saying is, I'm just giving you the Gospel. I, I determined not to do anything like that and just gave you the Gospel they also claimed that they would moved on. They had advanced. They had stepped past Paul's simple teaching and they had something that was better. They had all these gifts and they had all this wisdom and knowledge and yet they were fighting like mere men. There was disunity, there was confusion and... Selfishness and pride and acting like they hadn't been bought by the blood of Christ. This is what people say when you give them the gospel. I've got something better. I've got what I believe. I've got what I think. And, and I'm doing pretty well for myself. There's so many false gospels. I mean, it, it's Every magazine cover is somebody's picture of their heaven, their messiah, their you know, it's architectural digest what if my living room looked like that? That that's what, you know, that would just solve solve it for me for this month. Or if I had six-pack abs like that guy, that would solve it for me this month. It would it's it's, it's just holding up in front of somebody. Oh, I could, if I could be that, if I could have that truck, or if I could have that relationship, or if I could... And it's these false Christs and these false Gospels, the false good news, this, this diet, or this job, or this relationship, or this person, or... Whatever you want to chase after, and you will run down that road until it kills you. So, here we have a, a problem in the church, and this is a spoiler alert that tell you what's coming next week. But turns out. Not only does the church of Corinth have all of these other problems, there's a certain segment of the church that no longer believes they're questioning the resurrection. So we get to chapter 15. And Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Okay, now this is Brethren. He's talking to believers. He's talking to his brothers in Christ. I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received. So they received this gospel. They believed this gospel. And wherein you stand, this is... Their standing with God. Their standing before God is resting, is the foundation of any standing that we have or that they have before God is in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They have no other standing other than that. We have no other standing other than that. By which also ye are saved. This is in the present tense. This is not were saved they already you have received that's already happened this is present tense you are being saved you're being sanctified are they saved yes once saved always saved that's that's clear but there is a process a growth a maturity that happens in the Christian life and Paul is saying that that is coming that happens through the work of the gospel the work of grace and the faith that we have it grows in us we are being we are saved if now if this this process of growth happens if we keep in memory what i you keep in memory what i preached unto you Unless ye have believed in vain. In these two phrases, if you keep in memory what I've, what I've preached unto you, unless you have believed in, in vain, they're confusing, but they are the two, I believe, the two keys to this section. So let me, let me explain them first, and we'll get our two points from here. We'll start with the second one. Unless you believed in vain. We can read this out of context and think, oh, that means you could believe in Jesus, you could believe the gospel, and it didn't work. Well, that's where you're just coming up with that by just looking at that believed in vain. There's, um, my sons are taking a class on. Studying the, how to study the Bible. You might have heard of it. It's uh, called Ecclesia. A pastor, Jamie Bickle, is leading it at a church on Route 17. Um, and one of the principles is, if you see a word and you don't know what it's referring to or how it's working, one of the ways you can find out how that's working is look at other uses of that word, particularly if it's in the same passage. So you want to see, okay, we are this believed in vain. It doesn't sound exactly right. It's a little confusing to us. So we want to see, does he use that? Look at verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain what he means so looking at that your faith is in vain if there's no resurrection it, it's it's useless it's empty your faith is it's christ is dead We can compare that and bring it back up to verse, uh, verse 2 there. You have believed in emptiness. Unless you believed in em- something that was empty, something that was useless. That doesn't save you. There's lots of people that are believing in useless things. There's lots of people you talk to them, oh, I believe in God. That doesn't save you. That's an empty belief. Good, it's it's something, but it's not it's not the faith that saves. There's an empty belief, and if these if you don't believe in the resurrection, it's empty. We should be pitied as fools. The previous phrase there in verse two: keep in memory. What I preached unto you are the transformation of our lives comes from the work of Christ in our life. That work is founded on the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So my two points are, believe in the true gospel, first of all, And second of all, remember the true gospel. Believe in the true gospel. Moving on, we see in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Okay, If you ever wanted to know what what Paul preached, he's, he's going to tell us, This is what I delivered unto you. This is the message I preached to you. He's about to tell us. But I want to point out for a second. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. He received a message and he proclaimed a message. From the very beginning of, of the, 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 the resurrection when Mary got to the empty tomb What was she told? He's not here. Go and tell. Go and tell. You see, this is a message that's not just supposed to be received. It's also supposed to be given. It's supposed to be told. And even the the women at the tomb, they're supposed to tell it. They're supposed to go tell the brothers. They're supposed to go tell the disciples. And what do the disciples do? They're supposed to go and tell somebody else. And Paul's saying, this is what I did. I received a message and I proclaimed it. I gave it. This is what he received and this is what he told them. This is what he preached to them. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is an encapsulation of the gospel. It is, it's a, it's just break, just taking it down to this is the truth of the gospel. So we're going to work through this piece by piece. First of all, How that Christ died. Christ died. Implied there is that Christ lived. In order for something to die, it has to first live. Rocks don't die because they weren't alive. Christ lived. He came and lived as a man. And He died. He truly was Dead. The, the Romans were experts at killing people. They, the, the, the Roman soldier that was responsible for the crucifixion of Christ, his life was on the line if his prisoner did not die. Christ died. Why did Christ die? The next phrase. For Our sin. This is very, very important. Christ did not die because we're sick. Christ didn't die because we have bad relationships. Christ didn't die because life is hard. Christ died because we're sinners. Christ died because there's sin in our hearts. You see, the the this a sacrifice had to be made for the violation of and the and the, the severing of our relationship with God that sin brought and the death that was brought with it. A, a, a capital punishment, a, a Execution of judgment had to be made for the violation of God's law. Our sin. And we could not pay that price because we were not spotless. We were not perfect. We were not a, an appropriate sacrifice for a perfect and holy God. And so, a perfect sacrifice had to be made. And that sacrifice was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who lived perfectly and died perfectly for my sin. This is, this is key that we recognize that I am a sinner... And that Christ's sacrifice was made for the sake of my sin. Moving on, we have according to the scriptures. I'm going to get to that in a minute because it's repeated, so it's important. Verse four: In that he was buried, once again he was buried. What does that mean? He was dead he was truly dead they didn't take him down from the cross and say oh let's care for him let's try to nurse him back to health no they buried him and then finally and he rose again that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures the resurrection of christ the resurrection of Christ, according to the Scriptures. Notice here, we have this phrase, according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures is Paul referring to? The Old Testament. They don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's not talking about John 3.16, for God so loved the world. No. He's, getting, he's saying that this Gospel... It's according to the scriptures. It's according to what was taught from the Old Testament. The, and this is so, so important. Because the most common argument against the resurrection is that the disciples made it up after the fact. Or his followers later in time just were so enamored with this Jesus person that they just made up this story that Christ rose. But since it's according to the Scriptures, we're talking, I mean, Isaiah 53, Christ's suffering, Written seven hundred years before Christ came. This isn't something that the disciples made up after the fact. This is something that has been foretold for hundreds and thousands of and thousands of years. You have have the Psalms that that say that he he won't see corruption. He'll die, but his body won't be decayed. He'll be resurrected the um, we were reading in our devotions this week as a family, second Peter chapter one and it just struck me Peter's talking about how. They were on the holy Mount. they heard the voice from heaven. Uh, chapter one and then um, verse we'll look at verse 18, but really we want to look at 19. And the voice, this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy Mount. So he's saying, "I have I witnessed testimony that the resurrection is real." But then he says, Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that you take heed. In other words, listen well to, that, to this prophecy that had been made. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. In other words, what he's saying is that there is... Not only his eyewitness accounts, I mean that's, that's evidence right there that there's eyewitnesses of seeing Christ, but he's saying we also have the prophecy that was made, the prophecy of, of Christ himself, but also the prophets that in the darkness of the Old Testament, in the darkness of all of this failure to keep God's law, and over and over and over again, there's there's this jewel, there's this bright shining light. Well, there's a Messiah coming, and He's going to suffer on our behalf. And as the apostles, as they, as, as you see, as we when you look at Acts. They're studying back through the Old Testament and they're looking at it and they're saying, you know what? That was talking about Christ. That was, that, this passage, that was a prophecy of Christ. We never saw it before. You see this in their preaching and in their messages. When Stephen is being martyred, what does he do? The whole history The whole history of Israel. He walks through that whole thing and then he sees Christ. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul then goes through this list of people who have seen Christ, who saw Christ after his resurrection. So he's saying that there's evidence according to the Scriptures, but then he's also saying there's this eyewitness evidence as well. And he goes through and he says after that he was seen um, of Cephas and then of the Twelve, and after that he was seen of above, above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain. They're still alive, but some have died. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. It's very important that we believe the true gospel. That we are not leaving out certain little elements. We aren't dropping off pieces here and there and saying, oh, well, believe in Jesus. That'd be good. No, no, no. You made it too small. Too general. The Gospel is that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. It was buried and rose again, according to the Scriptures. You see, the world religions, if you think about them, Buddhism tries to solve the problem of suffering. Hinduism tries to solve this this concept of karma, what what goes around, comes around. Islam tries to solve the problem of pride. And, And so their focus is on submission as a response to pride. The Gospel focuses on two problems. Sin and death. And if you don't have those two elements as your gospel, then you don't have the good news of Jesus Christ. Our sin, the result of our sin, the wages of sin, is death. This is this is uh, the result of our violation of our relationship with God. That results in death. Uh, Warren likes to go around and very dramatically saying, "Life, no one makes it out alive."
1: <laughs>
2: but it's the truth. It's the truth. We all have this same problem. We have this problem of indwelling sin and we have this problem of death. And if our if we're proclaiming the gospel, if we're remembering the gospel, if we're believing the gospel and we're leaving out that it's a it's about that Jesus died for our sin and if we're leaving out that Jesus rose again, Then we're not solving the problems of sin and death. Those are necessary elements that must be. Because that's only, the only good news we've got. So believe the true gospel. Believe this gospel. Don't, don't leave anything out. Moving on, remember the true gospel. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, that that am not me to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not useless, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In other words, he's saying that the Gospel transformed his life, completely changed how he lived. He was persecuting the church. He was destroying the church. His goal was to 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 kill Christians. And then he became one. And risked his life to be one and to convert others. To declare this truth. The Gospel radically changed him. It transformed him. And that's what Paul is wanting for the Corinthians, the church at Corinth. And he's saying, you received this Gospel. You believe this Gospel. Now somehow you're leaving out the resurrection out of the gospel, and you've lost your love, you've lost your, the proper use of gifts, your unity. And he's saying, but the gospel, when, when, when he received it, when the grace of God came to him, His response was transformation. His response was change. It was was sanctification. It was a a complete difference. And he says, But it's not me. It's not not that I just worked this up and just said, Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. No, it's the grace of God. The grace of God? That's the good news. That is that is God's gift to us that we don't deserve. In his the gift he gave us Christ. That's that's we certainly didn't deserve God's son to come and die for us. But that grace that motivate, motivates motivates Paul, to say, I labored more than they. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God. It was Christ in me that was doing this. So he's saying to keep in mind. To keep in your heart. The beauty. The joy. The love. That is shown through this Good news through the gospel. That that is, that has wrapped him in, in such, uh, beauty. And just, just in the gospel, Paul found something that was worth living for. And worth dying for. But it requires a a, a mental effort, the renewal of our mind, to remind ourselves, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because we get into our normal days, and we we get into work, or we get into a conversation with our, our wife or our children, and we aren't thinking, I'm saved by grace. We're thinking, I want supper on the table. Or I want your room clean, young man. I, we're thinking about ourselves and we aren't recognizing, whoa. Who am I right now? I'm someone who's saved by grace. And yes, does that room need to be clean? Absolutely. Do I need to lose it? Absolutely not. Because I'm saved. Do I need to to get frustrated with my co-worker, my spouse? Do I need to chase after sin in comfort? No. Because I've been given grace. Can I sacrifice for the sake of others? Yes. Why? Why? Because of the Gospel. Because someone sacrificed for me. Christ sacrificed himself for me so I can sacrifice for others. This has ramifications on top of ramifications. I mean, you you think about it, you think about what the, what the families in this church have done of, of inviting a child into their home. How can they do that? Because they've been invited in. They've been invited in by the Father through the work of the Son. To be adopted as sons and daughters. So that they then can turn around and do the same for someone else. Because it's been done for them and they're they're resting in that, confident in that. But if we don't remember that, if we forget about that... If we forget about who we are in Christ, if we forget about what's been done for us, we can look at that situation and we can say, that's a fearful, a fearsome situation. That is a, a, a dangerous thing to do. Think of all the things that could go wrong. The other reason they can do it is because they have, as they were adopted into this family, they have brothers and sisters. Around them. That have been adopted into. The same family. So that they can. From the foundation of the gospel. They can go out. Take a risk. For the sake of Christ. Knowing that they have. Brothers and sisters. Who will come around them. And love them. And when. Things go wrong. When things are hard. There are those who will love them because they've been provided for by the grace of God. They've been given what they don't deserve and so they recognize that they can help this person who may be suffering. This this ministry that may be going through a hard time. And they can look at that and, and rally around that family that couple, that ministry, because we're brothers and sisters. We're in Christ. All of this is by grace. None of this is what we deserve. But we so quickly forget about it. Turn with me back to chapter 5. We'll close with this. Chapter 5. Verses 7 and 8. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. So your old, natural way of doing things. That you may be a new lump. As you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What's being talked about here? Christ, our Passover. The Passover lamb was killed. The blood was put on the doorpost. And the angel of death passed over that home. Christ's blood has been put over my doorpost. And the angel of death has passed over me. You see, because of the resurrection, I have new life. I live because Christ is alive. If Christ is dead, I'm dead. But if Christ is alive and my faith is in Him, I'm alive. Christ is our Passover. Christ is our Passover Lamb. And so verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast. Let us keep the celebration. Not once a year. Not at Passover time. Not at Easter. Not once a week on Sunday. But Christ's, Blood is over my life every single moment. And so my life is to be lived out as a celebration of the good news, the grace of God has come to me and I'm so in love with that that I declare it. I speak it to other people. That I live it out. That I don't have to have things for myself. I don't have to be puffed up. I don't have to look at and protect me, because I'm protected. And I celebrate that with my life. How do we celebrate it? We don't, we don't party like the world parties. We don't celebrate it with wickedness and uh what does he say here? Malice and wickedness. No. We celebrate it with sincerity and truth. What we would say today would be authenticity. A genuine, a true faith. It's not a facade where I'm just going through the motions. It's something that's actually changed our lives. Changed our hearts. It's transformed us. And so we can be Transparent with each other. We can be authentic with each other. We don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend. Because we really are celebrating a gift that's truly worth celebrating. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we believe something as Christians. I don't know if this has ever struck anyone else, but it it really hit me just a few years ago we believe something really weird. We believe that there was a man who was God. We believe that that man was perfect. And we believe he died and he rose again. And he's still alive today thousands of years later. That's not normal. That's not how people think. It's a little hard to swallow when you think about it. That, okay, I don't know anybody else that has come back to life and is still alive. But that's what I believe. That's what I put my trust, my faith in. Because I believe it's the only thing that will save me from sin and death. It's all I've got. It's the only hope. Is that Jesus Christ is alive today. Having paid for my sin and having won victory over sin, over death, and over the hell that I deserve. He defeated that. For me. And he's given it to me freely. And he offers it to each of us. And I have put my faith in that. I trust my life on that. And yet, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, I'll be shoveling snow. And I'll completely forget. Hopefully not completely. But I won't have in my mind, I won't keep in memory the fact that I am a a blood-bought son of God. That's who I am. No matter what I'm doing, no matter where I am, and I can live like that and I can celebrate that. And I can display the beauty of that in everything I do, everywhere I go, and I can speak that to those around me and tell them the good news as well. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what grace You have given to us. Help us to be just overwhelmed By the power of the gospel. Help our lives to be transformed by the gospel. Help us to remember. Keep in mind the true gospel. That we would not forget. Who you have made us to be. We would not forget the sacrifice that your son has made. But that we would so love the beauty of that gift that it would be on the tips of our tongues, be the forefront of our minds, no matter where we are or what we're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen.